All right. Remember that song? Anyone play that song? My mom could play that song. Renee could play that song. Uh, remember the uh, 80s movie, uh, Be Afraid, Be Afraid, Be Very, Very Afraid. How many of you have some fears? Anyone? How many of you are afraid to mention them right now out loud in front of everybody? <laughs> so I'm in uh, Honduras a couple of years ago. Remember when people, uh, we were on a cruise. Remember when people would go on cruises? Do you remember that? We used to do that before COVID. Anyway, uh, we're on a cruise in Honduras, and of course, they got the Great Barrier Reef, so I told Renee, I said, I got to do some extra diving, some extra snorkeling, so I, I paid the guide some extra money. He was going to take me to a secret spot where the fish are great. Renee and the kids were like, no, we're not, you know, we're going to just stay in the boat, so we go out in this boat, and uh, you know, it's just amazing. I put on my goggles, put on my fins, and uh, I made the mistake of actually sucking in before breathing out as I went into the water, which means I swallowed about half the ocean right there, which was not good. And uh, anyway, if you've ever gone snorkeling or if you've ever gone diving, you know that once you open up your eyes under that water and you see the amazing fish and colors, it just takes you to another place, right? Uh, it just really does. So. I, I start the dive and, and we go and me and the guide are off and almost immediately, like 30 seconds in, I, I saw out of the corner of my eye something angling towards me and it was Jaws Jr. Shark, 10 to 12 feet, right? So you know what I felt at that moment? Fear. In fact, I went through all five stages of death in about 30 seconds, okay? Denial, no way is that a shark. Anger, I can't believe I paid extra to get eaten by a shark. Bargaining, well, maybe he'll just take like an arm or a leg. Depression, I can't believe I'm gonna die in Honduras on a cruise. And acceptance, well, the life insurance is paid up. Renee will be on the beach with some 20-year-old guy with a million and a half dollars not working anymore. Right, Renee, where is Renee? You already, yeah, she says yes, amen to that, yes. So I do everything the books tell you not to do. I start thrashing in the water, right, like a wounded animal, and I start scrambling for the ladder on the boat. The guide was already there at the ladder. Do you think I let him go first? Oh, no. I found out how selfish I am when there's a shark in the water. I threw him off the ladder and climbed up the ladder. And Renee's like, that's not very Christian. <laughs> I gave him a good tip. So we get back in the boat. Turns out it was a dolphin. Isn't that what fear does though, right? Fear takes something small and something innocent like a dolphin and it turns it into jaws and you're going to die. Amen? Rudy R. Kipling said it this way, of all the liars in the world, sometimes the worst are our own fears. Somebody say amen. Remember the show Fear Factor? How many of you remember watching the show Fear Factor? Yeah, I, I actually like that show. If you never saw the show, it normally began with about six contestants, uh, three male and three female. And it would appear that these contestants would have to go through a whole series of interviews to make sure that no one ugly ended up on the show. <laughs> Nine o'clock didn't think that was funny. Anyhow, and then for an hour, these people would compete 
to see who could overcome their fears for $50,000. And they, they were covered in tarantulas. They jumped out of helicopters. They were, they were covered in snakes. And they had to eat all kinds of weird stuff, you know, brains and eyeballs of weird animals and other stuff that we don't discuss in polite company. And I mean, when Franklin D. Roosevelt said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, he obviously had not watched the show. Now, to be fair, I would last about 27 seconds on the show because I'm terrified of heights. I do not like sharks, as you know. And really, my idea of exotic food is like onions on my hamburger, okay? So anyhow, so what are you afraid of? Now, not all fear is bad, right? Some fear is a gift from God. Leonardo da Vinci said, just as courage imperils life, fear protects it. So fear is what keeps you from driving 200 miles per hour on 35 as you go to San Antonio. It's what keeps you from stepping off a 12-story building, right? Fear. That's not unnatural or unhealthy, right? Somebody say amen. Anyone here afraid of flying? Anyone afraid of flying? Oh, that's great. One person. Okay, very one. One honest person. Very good. So uh, I, I was not normally afraid to fly. And again, but when we went to uh, Costa Rica, uh, one of the other times I did some diving, uh, I had a destination wedding. By the way, if you ever want me to go, I'm there. I'm your man for destination weddings, okay? I am there. So anyway, we had a destination wedding and we flew in Southwest. And then eventually they turned you over to another airlines and it was called Copa. Copa Airlines. Welcome to Copa Airlines. And I felt pretty safe. It seemed pretty legit, seemed pretty secure. And then when uh, I got a little nervous though, because when we got to Costa Rica and I told people I was flying on Copa Airlines, this was the response I got. Oh, Coffin Airlines. Oh yeah. (laughs) That was the nickname, which made the flight back a little bit nerve wracking, Coffin Airlines. So psychology tells us that there 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 are four sort of impelling forces in life. Fear, hope, love, and faith. But they also tell us fear is usually out in front. If you think about it, fear actually causes more misery than all the sin and sickness in our lives combined. Because we're not sick all the time, no, and we're not sinning all the time, but most people are afraid of something or somebody all the time. Amen? For instance, I'm a little, I'm afraid that there's a game today there's a game today, yes. And I, I just wanna, I'm, I'm getting a little hot up here. I need to towel off real quick with my, my Steelers terrible towel. There's Cowboys are playing the Steelers today. I interrupt the service to let you know that my seven and O Steelers are playing. What's the record, Roll? No, did you, did you wanna borrow this? That's against our dress code, by the way. I had to have a little fun for the Steelers fans online because there's one of them, my brother. Anyway, I know. So what are we afraid of today? What are we afraid of today? Well, we are afraid of a virus, COVID-19. The virus that has changed your life and my life and changed the church's life and everyone's life in the world is 1.25 nanometers sphere. That is, it is one billionth of a yardstick big that virus. Tiny, but dramatic. Now for decades, I didn't worry about small things because in the 80s, when I was growing up and I lived in Nebraska and my dad was at Strategic Air Command and a colonel in the Air Force, uh, he told me to worry about the Russians. Do you remember worrying about the Russians? Do you remember worrying about the, the radioactive war and the nuclear destruction that were, does anyone else remember this? Right? 
right? And I remember in elementary school that the teachers would say, okay, we're now going to do our nuclear fallout drill <laughs> in Nebraska, where my dad said there's 300 Soviet ICBMs pointed at Omaha, so we would not last long. But anyhow, the teacher would say to us, please crawl under your desk and put your hands like this under your wooden desk so that when the atomic fireball streams in, it has some kindling to burn you up really quickly with. <laughs> Remember that, the, the, that show that came out the day after, right, the nuclear war? My dad's like, I'll be down three miles underground while y'all will be vaporized. Comforting quotes from my old man. Yet that titanic threat with megatons, thank God, never happened. And yet a tiny object that looks like a soccer ball with spikes has absolutely paralyzed the world. Solomon actually talks about the power of little things to put fear. He talks about ants and badgers and Locusts and lizards, for instance, there's a certain kind of gecko, a Jericho gecko that can curl up on a dime. It's a fraction of more than half an inch. And I can just see Solomon laying in his bed one day, watching a little lizard over his wall and laughing at his own security detail, a security detail that could stop a lion but could not stop a lizard from coming into his room. Little things can be deadly. Bobby Leach is an example of this. Bobby Leach achieved fame and notoriety when at 53 years old, he got into a barrel and went over Niagara Falls and survived. And then uh, after recovering from his injuries, he toured North America and the UK with hysteric, you know, this barrel in tow, recounting and telling the story of how he survived and how he did it. Uh, he was part of a circus, so daredevil stunts were nothing new to him. Up until the 60s, he was even attempting crazy things such as swimming across Whirlpool Rapids. And, and how did Bobby Leach die? Well, interestingly enough, he died because one day he decided to eat a banana. True story. This is the second time I've eaten on camera in three weeks, which is kind of fun. So he ate the banana and carelessly threw it down on the ground and forgot about it. A couple hours later, he walks through the same space, and no kidding, guess what he does on that banana peel? Slips, falls, breaks his leg. His leg gets infected. He gets gangrene, has to be amputated too late. He dies from a gangrene leg. Guy that survives Niagara Falls doesn't survive a slip on a banana peel. And so Paul says, and he warns us about this, right? Because there's little things, right? If you're going on Niagara Falls, you're all prayed up. But if you just throw down a banana peel, you're not prayed up for that. And so Paul says, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful you don't fall. So think about the banana peels that you encounter every day, right? Missed time in prayer, missed time in devotional, uh, spending without thinking, careless words. Man, that has come back to haunt me, saying something that you shouldn't have said. That's a banana peel you slipped on. Neglecting those who are important to you. And it works both ways, right? The flip side of the coin is little things have the potential to take you to the next level, which is why Jesus often said, hey, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with what? Very much. And whoever's dishonest with a little bit will be dishonest with much. And Jesus said, you've been faithful with a few things, so I'll put you in charge of many things. 
So you'll encounter banana peels or stepping stones. Someone say, I'm awake. I need to feel the energy here, friends. See, there's another thing that's actually stronger than a virus, and that little thing is called faith. It's so little. Jesus said, if you just have the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move, and it will move. To be sure, what does that mean? It doesn't just mean that, you know, hey, Pollyanna, everything's going to be okay all the time, because it's not always, always about what you are believing. It's about God and how you believe that God loves you and God made you and God created you and God is always for you. And your faith may just be the size of a virus, but it doesn't matter necessarily the size, it's the hope, right? The hope in the object of your faith. You can have all the faith in the world that a wet paper bag is gonna hold a 50 pound rock and when you lift up that bag, the rock's gonna come out. Right, are we clear? Yes? So, we're going to get into it now. This is finally getting to the message, getting to where you need to pay attention. So, somebody say, pay attention. All right, thank you, three of you who did that. Here's what Jesus said about fear. Now, first of all, if you read through the Gospels, you discover there's at least 15 times that Jesus says to us, do not be afraid. Now, the Gospels generally as a whole, the Bible as a whole, if you take Old Testament, New Testament, God says, don't be afraid 365 times. It is the most repeated command in Scripture, don't be afraid. But Jesus says it 15 times specifically. For instance, Luke 12, 7, he says, look, and the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You're more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. And so Jesus begins, the very first thing he says is don't be afraid to live. Don't be afraid to live. I'm sure you understand that you can become so busy making a living that you forget to actually live your life. And you can get so caught up in the minutia that you do not see the bigger picture. And at some point, we have to come to some place in our life that, hey, you know what? I matter to God, that God loves us, and that God wants the very best for us. And we can choose to trust God with our lives, or we can choose to worry about everything in our lives, but we cannot do both. Somebody say amen. At any point, when you're so moved, you're allowed to say amen, just letting you know. Amen. <laughs> hey, thank you, Joy. <laughs> One spontaneous amen, I've been waiting. All too often, the things we worry about exist only in our minds, and they often take a life on their own. And so we don't do the things we are called to do, or God wants us to do, because we're so consumed with what if right? Because that is what fear is. Fear is what if? What if this happens? What if that happens? What if this? And faith is even if, even if, you know, right? Daniel, you got to eat this food. No, I'm not going to eat this food. Uh, God doesn't want me to eat this food. Daniel, we're going to throw you into the lion's den if you don't listen to what the king wants. And Daniel says, ah, even if, even if I get thrown in there, I'm not going to stop living for God right? Well, what if, Daniel? What, I mean, you're going to get burned up. No, even if I do, I'm going to still serve God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Faith is even if. So we don't go on adventures we're supposed to take because there might be consequences. We don't enjoy today because we're so consumed with might, might happen tomorrow. Don't be afraid to live, Jesus says. Too many of us are not living our dreams because we are living our fears. We're not swimming with the dolphins because we're sure there's a bunch of sharks. 
I love the story of the bishop had this irrational fear that one day his legs were going to be paralyzed. So one night he's at a dinner party and he reached down and he pinched his leg. And when he didn't feel anything, he exclaimed out loud, just as I feared, total insensitivity below the waist. I can't feel a thing. The lady sitting next to him said, if it's any comfort, Bishop, your leg you pinched was mine. (laughs) So at the very least, make sure we're pinching our own leg. Nelson Mandela, who certainly knew about fear and overcoming fear, spent 27 years in a prison and never could wear a pair of pants because they didn't want him to feel like a man, right? That's what they did to him, the government. And he set up, what did he do? He set up a forgiveness commission and forgave everybody as soon as he came into power. He said these words, I've learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he that conquers fear, don't be afraid to live. So the first thing Jesus said, don't be afraid to live. Second thing, Mark 5, 36, but Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Now here, Jesus, in this story, Jesus says, don't be afraid to believe, to believe. This is one of the great stories in the New Testament. Jairus is an important leader in the local synagogue. He's somebody, somebody, he's important. He, he is an important member of the community. He comes to the teacher, Jesus, and literally falls at his feet, right? How many grown men do that? And you pick up the story in Mark 5, 22. Then the leader of the synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come lay hands on her and heal her so she can live. So as Jesus is making his way, Jesus agrees to go to Jairus' house and to heal the daughter. As he's making his way, there's a woman who who has been bleeding for 12 years, menstrual bleeding, has has to shout out she's unclean all the time. She's a social pariah. She fights her way through the crowd because she believes if I can just touch Jesus, I can be healed. And Jesus stops as he's touched and he notices it's a different kind of touch, even though the crowd's all around him. And I'm sure that as Jesus stops and interacts with this woman, Jairus is like standing there bouncing on his feet, like, okay, come on, Jesus, come on. She's been sick for 12 years. I mean, another few hours is not gonna make a big difference. Come on, my little girl is really sick. Jesus stops and he heals the woman. He's willing to be interrupted. And then the message comes back from the crowd. It's too late. Your little girl is dead. And Jairus is like, dead? How could she? I just thought she was sick. And that's not the way it's supposed to be, right? Children are not supposed to bury, or children are supposed to bury parents, and parents are not supposed to bury their children. And yet it happens. In 26 years of ministry, I've done five children's funerals. And from my perspective, one is way too many, but it happens. And Jairus must have been absolutely devastated when this happened to his child. So he hears from the crowd, your child's already dead. Give up on Jesus. Jesus then turns after he's healed the woman, turns to Jairus and he says these words to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. The man had enough faith to track down Jesus. He had enough faith to fall at Jesus' feet. He had enough faith that Jesus was going to heal his daughter. Now Jesus is saying, even though she's dead, just have a little more faith. Don't be afraid to believe. And if you don't know the story, Jesus arrives at the home and people literally there at the home, they know the girl's dead and they're laughing at Jesus. They mock him. And it says in the scripture that Jesus gets so angry, he throws them out. It's the same language when Jesus throws out the the money changers in the temple. 
And then Jesus takes in Peter, James, and John, and he stands at the edge of the bed, and he calls out to the child and opens up the child's eyes, and the little girl lives, and he gives her back to Jairus and her mom. Don't be afraid to believe, Jairus. The worst has already happened. Your little girl has died. What will it cost for you to believe? So the question is, what is there in your life that God is calling for you to believe in for? What miracle do you need? So Jesus says to you today, don't be afraid, only believe. Too often we're like the little boy who read the Bible that, you know, if you just have enough faith, you can say to this mountain, move over here and it will move over there. And so there's this pile of dirt that this little boy's father said, hey, get the wheelbarrow out and I want you to move that pile of dirt. So he's sitting inside. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to move that pile of dirt. He wants to play video games. So he, he, he looks at the pile of dirt and he looks up at God and he closes his eyes and he says, pile of dirt, be moved. Pile of dirt, be moved. And he looks out outside and sure enough the pile of dirt has not moved it's still there and the little boy says just like I thought it's still there and my point is is how often do we pray but not really believe well I'm gonna pray because pastor said so but I don't really believe Jesus says don't be afraid only believe because faith will never ask you more than what you believe Faith doesn't always take you out of the problem. Faith takes you through the problem. Faith doesn't always take away the pain. Faith gives you the ability to handle the pain. Faith doesn't always take you out of the storm. Faith calms you in the midst of the storm. Somebody say amen. Come on here now. This is some good stuff we're throwing out here, friends. A friend of mine has just had his fifth kid. Five kids. And he's not even Catholic. Five kids. That's a lot. And I said, hey, that's like three too many for me. Two, I'm done. That's it, okay? And um, his name is Bill. And I said, Bill, what do you want for your kids? There's one thing you could give your kids. What would you give them? He said, there's one thing I want for my children. It's for them to believe me. I said, what do you mean? He goes, I just want them to believe that I'm there for them, that I love them, that I care for them, that I'll always be there for them, and that I want the best for them no matter what I tell them. And I thought that's a really good thing to say because all the Heavenly Father wants from us, his children, is for us to believe that God will do what God promises, that we can trust him. Matthew 8, 26, Jesus responded, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves and suddenly all was calm. So here in this story, Jesus tells us, don't be afraid to trust, trust. And this is another one of my favorite stories from the Gospels. To put things in perspective here, this has been a very full day for Jesus. He has delivered the Sermon on the Mount. He's healed Peter's mother-in-law, as well as a centurion servant. And people are still gathering around to hear from this touted Messiah. And Peter tells the boys, hey, get the boat ready. Uh, Let's sail across the Sea of Galilee. I need a break. Jesus falls asleep halfway across the Sea of Galilee, and suddenly a storm comes up. Now understand, these guys are not in a large vessel. It's probably just a small open sailboat overloaded with 13 of them. And a description can be found in Matthew chapter 8, 24 through 25. Suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples wake him up and shout, Lord, save us, we're gonna drown. There's sharks everywhere. 
And that's where the scripture comes in where Matthew 8, 26, um, Jesus responds, right? And he wakes up and he says, why are you so afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up and rebukes the wind and the waves and suddenly it's all calm. You understand that they were confident that Jesus could do what they needed him to do. So they woke him up to save him, but they were still terrified, right? They didn't just say, we're going to drown. They started by saying, Lord, save us. Because what if fear and worry whisper to us that, hey, God's not big enough and God's not strong enough to take care of us. That's really the voice of fear. Jesus was with them when they started out when the sea was calm and flat. Jesus was with them when the wind started to blow and Jesus was with them in the midst of the storm. And there are all kinds of lessons you can learn from this, but the one that fits this message that even in the midst of storms, we can trust Jesus. There are no promises in scripture that say, hey, if you follow Jesus, your life will be free of storms, right? It's not a country song, right? Where you get your wife back and, and you can still drink whiskey and read your Bible and all that. It's not a country song. But there are all kinds of places. In fact, scripture says, if you follow Jesus, you're gonna probably have more difficulties. But there's all kinds of places. And it says all the time, God is Emmanuel. God is always with us. And one of my favorite promises in the Bible in the Old Testament in Isaiah 43, one through two, but now, O Jacob, which is Israel, right? Listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you, right? Says, what are these words, church? Do not be afraid for I have ransomed you. I've called you by name and you are mine. When you go through the deep waters, I'll be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Someone get excited and say amen. This is God's promise to you. See, it's easy to trust God, right? When the sun is shining, the cotton's high, mama's good looking and daddy's rich. But what about in the storms? If you know the rest of the story, after Jesus calms the storm, the apostles were amazed, the scripture says, because even the wind and the waves obeyed him. And it was a lesson they could have never learned on a beautiful, serene day. Don't be afraid to trust him. Luke 5, 10 through 11, his partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee or the sons of thunder is what it was, were also amazed. So Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything. These fishermen left everything to do what? To follow him. And here Jesus says, don't be afraid to follow I would suspect that there are people here today that God has called you, that Jesus has called you to do certain things, uh, but you have allowed fear to say, no thanks. Or I think the most three most common expressions that most Christians have when God calls us to do something are these expressions. Uh, not me, not there, and not yet. Right? We can sing all the time. We can stand here in church and go, here I am, Lord. We can sing that song, right? And then God calls us, and what do we say? Uh, there they are, Lord, please call them. Uh, please, God, choose someone smarter or younger or braver or more spiritual or more eloquent. I'm not the one you're looking for. 
Think about Moses when Moses was called. Take on the number one person in the whole world, Pharaoh and his whole army. Take it on. Moses is like, uh, I'm slow to speak. I'm a murderer on the run. I don't think I can do this. I'm an old man. Please don't ask me to go. Moses says, not me. Think about Gideon. Think about Esther. Not me. Not me. Or we say, not there. Don't ask me to go to another country and witness. I don't want to go do mission work. No. There might be danger. I can't speak the language. Or don't send me into the poor part of town. I don't want to hang out with poor people. Or my neighbors. I don't want to witness to my neighbors. They'll think I'm weird. I don't even invite them to church. They wouldn't understand. They might laugh at me. They'll think I'm a Jesus freak. I don't even have one of those praise signs in my yard. Think about Abraham or Peter. Or not yet. This is the number one response, right? It, most of us, we're just too busy, God. It, it, it's just too busy of a time right now, God, to do what you want me to do. When I'm older, when the kids are out of school, when the bills are paid up, when I'm retired, when I have more money, when I can prepare myself, when things settle down at home. And think about the rich young ruler who goes away sad. He wants to follow Jesus, but not yet. We let fear keep us from answering our call. So I'll share a, a little bit of a personal story because how many of you are afraid the sermon's never going to end? <laughs> so uh, in the late 80s, 86 through 89, I went to Randolph High School, which is a military base in San Antonio. And I b- became friends and still friends with a guy named Greg Perry, who's a cop of all people and things today in San Antonio. You've met Greg. He's come here to church a few times. And uh, Greg said to me, hey, hey, we got this really cool youth group and it's really great youth leader and his name's Andy McCall and you got to come to youth group. And I say, nope, not interested. Sounds way too religious. My mom already plays organ. I go to church already. I, I don't want to go do that. And then he says, dude, there's like a ton of cute girls there. Sign me up. I'm ready to go. So I go to youth group. And I met this youth pastor named Andy McCall, who was just phenomenal at challenging me and encouraging me to become more than a nominal Christian, to actually step up and to say yes to to following Jesus. But I had a lot of fear. And so he kept saying, you need to follow Jesus. I'm like, ah, you know, I don't think so. I don't want to. And so Andy led these uh, Wednesday morning uh, devotionals, you know, really like 70, 80 kids from school would come to the Ingersoll's house and he would lead these devotionals. And I remember the very first one I went there and I'm not really feeling the vibe. I'm just looking for the cute girls and the free food because it was like seven in the morning. That's early. I mean, I'm sure Jesus is up at seven, is he? It's early. And uh, <laughs> he starts off. The lesson with this, this King James Version, why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? And for the rest of the hour, I just sat there and thought about what am I afraid of when it comes to following Jesus? Why do I not really want to follow? I mean, I kind of want to follow, but not really, because what am I afraid of? Have you ever been there? I mean, I was afraid I wasn't good enough, right? And I won't be able to fulfill expectations I had of what a Christian should do and shouldn't do. And I was afraid of losing control. I'm afraid God would never love someone like me. 
Because fear whispered to me, God's not big enough or strong enough to take care of me. And that night I realized, and that day I realized, hey, part of, part of following was trusting. And so I did. Now, the interesting thing about the story that I did not know until recently, a couple of years ago, I mentioned this youth director, Andy McCall, right? You remember this a couple of years ago? Maybe you don't. And there's a woman in our church uh, named uh, the Energizer Bunny, Avril Walters. And she said to me after sermon, not, it was a great sermon. She didn't say that. She comes, McCall. McCall family, Andy McCall. I said, yeah, yeah. That was your youth director? Yes, 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 yes. We had a McCall family in our church. I said, oh, yeah. It's not like, you know, his name is something really weird. McCall's not a crazy name. It's like John Smith, you know. She's like, no, no, no. What's the name? Andy McCall. I said, Andy McCall. So she comes back to the office a couple days later with a, this old, old directory from church. Is that, is that the McCall? In that picture, he's about three. I'm like, uh, I don't know, I guess. So she makes a few phone calls and turns out that the youth director that was you know, formational for me following Jesus and really led me to Christ was in fact, a part of this church some 50 years ago in the McCall family. And he's here today, right there. Andy McCall. Andy, stand up real quick, will you, Andy? All right. <laughs> so here's the point of the story. If you don't like me as your pastor, blame Andy. <laughs> you know, it's all his fault. <laughs> but I'm grateful for people like Andy who encouraged me. Think about this. This church raised up a pastor and you didn't even know. I didn't even know until years later. That's how God works, right? You know? And um, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Spontaneous. Amen. And of course, following Jesus is, is challenging. This is not always easy, but Jesus has taken me places I would have never gone, has allowed me to meet people I would have never met, and has allowed me to do things I would have never done. In the end, he's promised eternity with him. And in case you're afraid the sermon will never end, I'm going to close with this. Oftentimes, we think God's calling what God calls us to do should give us peace. And you hear people say this, well, you know, the Lord called me and then I just felt a sudden peace about it. And you know what I think of those stories? That's a bunch of crap. Because <laughs> that's not the way it works. Courage is fear that has said its prayers, or as John Wayne said, courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyway. We think God wants us to have peace about things, right? Well, okay, you know, and so show me in the Bible where it says Moses had great peace as he went off to confront Pharaoh, the, the world's most powerful man, and confront him to say, let, uh, you know, your free labor slaves go free. Show me that verse. Um, I'm still looking. Or Peter had great peace when he confronted the authorities. Or Paul had, you know, Paul did have peace, but it took some time. If having peace were the ultimate criteria for doing what God calls us to do, nobody in the Bible would have done anything. 
See, this is, the sequence in the Bible is not this. This is what it's not. Are you all paying attention? Someone pay, say, pay attention. Come on. All right. The sequence in the Bible is not calling. Oh, God loves you. I want you to do this. Peace about it. Decision to obey. Smooth sailing. That is a lie. This is how it looks. God calls. Oh, I want you to do this. Abject terror. No way. Decision to obey. I'm going to try this. Big problems. More terror. Second thoughts. People call me crazy. Repeat several times. Ah, deeper faith. Deeper faith. There's an old general, and he's in charge of the firing squad. They'd bring enemies before him, and the general would always say to the enemies, you can choose one of two options, death by the firing squad or the black door. Inevitably, all the enemies of the general would choose death by the firing squad. One day, they brought another prisoner before him, and they blindfold him and tie him up because he's chosen death by the firing squad. And one of the general's underlings, one of the, the soldiers comes up to the general and says, General, 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 I know what, you know, the firing squad leads to. It leads to death, but, but what is behind the black door? What is behind that black door? And the general says, freedom. Freedom. Absolute freedom. They could go free. But no one ever chooses the black door because it's unknown. No one ever chooses the devil they don't know. They just choose the one they do know. So don't be afraid to choose freedom from fear over fear. Remember the words of Jesus. He said these words to the disciples. He said these words to us. In John 14, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. Believe in me and believe in God also. So let's pray. God of grace, we give thanks for this time to come together and to think about ways that we have packed fear into the suitcase and the daily carry-ons of our lives. Lord, help us to leave it behind right now. Lord, we give you our fear, we give you our abject terror, we give you our objections as you make a calling on our hearts and our lives. And we ask, God, that we would trust you and not be afraid to trust. And we would be afraid not to believe in you, even when it seems like things are, are decided. Even when it seems like, to Jairus, your daughter is dead. Just believe a little bit more. Help us, God, to have that sort of belief, that, that even if belief. We've had enough of the what if belief. And Father, help us. Most importantly, to be willing to follow, to recognize that the peace comes not before we go through the black door, but after. So give us that peace. Calm our fears. Help us to trust you, believe in you, to follow you, to love you our whole lives. And we pray this in the name of Christ, the one who taught us as we say now together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven.
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us at Grace Presbyterian Church. We hope and we trust that this message was a blessing and gave you much encouragement as you face today. At Grace Presbyterian Church, we are a church family that welcomes everyone who welcomes everyone. And we would love to welcome you. So please join us either online or in person. You'll find a community that loves God and loves each other. And we are blessed by other people joining us. So please come and join us at Grace Presbyterian Church.